Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I am so glad you are back because I can take this this matrix of leadership and, and foist it back on you. <laughs> I'm back. I'm happy. A Cat Bailey tale. <laughs> How did you enjoy your vacation? I didn't didn't really feel like a vacation at all, but actually I spent a lot of it playing Bravely Default 2, which I ended up really enjoying, surprisingly. Yeah, and we will be talking about that later, but I was very surprised you enjoyed it. I'm kind of glad to hear you are. Yeah, I thought that it would be kind of a throwaway RPG in the grand tradition of Square Enix's extremely up-and-down uh, retro kind of games, for example. Uh, I really bounced off Trials of Mana and, Oct- and Octopath Traveler and also I Am Setsuna, but I guess Bravely Default 2, uh, out of all of them, ended up being the one that got me. <laughs> I mean, there's just all love to Tokyo RPG Factory because they, they kind of try, but there is no comparison on Earth between any Bravely Default game ever or even any game by that team and I Am Setsuna. It just does not exist. <laughs> Well, we'll be talking about Bravely Default 2 and Persona Strikers with our special guest, Samantha Nelson, who will be joining us a little bit later. We'll also be going through the news, and we uh, have a new segment this month, Nadia. Normally, we'd be doing the track of the week, but this month, we've got March Madness going on, in which we pit 64 RPGs against one another for the title of Greatest Ever, as determined by our community, though we have a little bit of input from twitter as well it'll be a lot of fun so we're going to be just talking about the results of round one in the segment a little bit later in the meantime if you enjoy the podcast please do us a favor leave us a review over on itunes or stitcher or the podcatcher of your choice we really appreciate it you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia is at nadia oxford i stream on mondays at twitch.tv slash cat bailey tv and we have a patreon patreon.com slash blood god pod got a lot of exciting things on tap this month nadia among them we just released our final fantasy 8 pantheon of the blood god special with special guest alex donaldson that was a great episode you can Mm. listen to a special preview on our feed i felt like we learned so much about it and nadia and i almost came to blows over our disagreements or the junction system didn't we (laughs) we didn't really i mean we certainly disagreed quite uh quite strongly with each other on the Mm -hmm. junction system and i actually had um i can't remember who said it on the discord i'm sorry but they were they said they apparently almost drove their car off the road at the suggestion that the junction system contained no strategy apparently i said that (laughs) and so and apparently your voice went to another octave when I called you a hater. <laughs> My voice always goes to another octave when I'm startled. It's a defense mechanism. Kat and Nadia normally have very like smooth, like level voices, but that time, like, it's just completely changed. So I touched something deep within you, like I, to hit you at the core. So it's it's just because Final Fantasy VIII is such a conflicting game for me. Mm. I mean, obviously we we speak about it for two and a half freaking hours, so. Uh, we get into the deep details there, but it is certainly not a game I hate. It is just a game that does not click with me whatsoever, and I have, I would like it to. That's the thing, and it just doesn't. It's not a game that I hate. It's just a game that I don't like and have no intention of ever playing again. There's a difference. If I hate a game, I'm like, ew, this has no value to anybody, but Final Fantasy VIII certainly has value, just not to me. 
Well, this month's Pantheon selection is System Shock 2. The Game Club has just kicked off over in the Discord, and we will once again, at the beginning of next month, be having another special guest to be talking about System Shock 2. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're jumping over to the Western side of things. One more item that's going to be happening this month. Very excited about it. It's the 35th anniversary of The Legend of Zelda Nadia, and we are doing a special anniversary tribute to The Legend of Zelda. So, no, who cares? No, Legend of Zelda is not an RPG. Who cares? We're going to talk about it for a long time. It'll be great. We make the rules. I am very much looking forward to that because uh, both you and I, I think Zelda from the very start was a big part of our childhood. Oh, for sure. Though, I didn't start until... Uh, until the 90s, and you wouldn't believe which one I started with, Nadia. Uh, which one? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to subscribe at the $5 level and listen <laughs> to our our 35th anniversary tribute. You know what? I started at an unusual one, too, so you'll have to double subscribe to hear that. <laughs> All right. Let's continue on to the news, Nadia. First item of business, Hironobu Sakaguchi, Final Fantasy's creator, is back in the news with his new Apple Arcade RPG Fantasian. We've known about this one for a little while now, but it got a full review. There were previews going up across a variety of outlets. People were actually interviewing Sakaguchi. I think this is the first Apple Arcade game that I've ever actually been interested in, with apologies to Grindstone. I am so glad that the curtain is back again on Sakaguchi, and he has a game that, even though I'm still not thrilled with the choice of platform, I know it's not a free-to-play Garbo-fest. It is a full game, by the looks of it, just really interesting and gorgeous-looking. I have heard tell from these interviews that he was greatly inspired by Final Fantasy VI, and I think he said he had some of the team working with him on that. So, yeah, all all things point to this being a pretty great game, and I'm looking forward to it, even though I will have to resubscribe to Apple Arcade to play it. You hear that, Terra Battle? Nadia thinks that it's a free-to-play Garbo Fest. What are you going to do about that, huh? It doesn't have to be. That's a sad thing. And uh, I think this, uh, I think Fantasia has, um, Fantasian has music by uh, Uematsu, if I'm not mistaken, which is really nice because... He's kind of been winding down lately, so I'm glad to see he still has some uh, music coming out. And it's good music, too. And of it's course. Very it's very Final Fantasy. He's Uematsu. He's really not capable of producing anything bad. <laughs> I was reading the Polygon interview, and the thing that stood out to me was Sakaguchi saying that he played Final Fantasy VI on the SNES Classic, and that ah. made him fall back in love with JRPGs. And oh. so he was all excited to make Fantasia. And I'm like, oh, my God, my heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> no more weird battle puzzle games. It's uh, just pure ass RPG goodness. Yeah, there, it's Hironobu Sakaguchi seems to have such a weird relationship with Final Fantasy because he doesn't even seem to really know who directed Final Fantasy VII Remake. He seemed to think that it was Kitase when it was actually Nomura. Oh, did he? I didn't even know that, but yeah. And I don't think he played 12 because he thought Matsuno was hard done by with that game, and maybe he was. Yeah, I think maybe. I don't want to sit here and put words in Sakaguchi's mouth, but I feel like there's always been a little bit of a rough split there, and mm. yeah, maybe that kind of affected how he viewed game development after that and how he views it now. So I do hope that if there are any rifts that they've they've healed in time. But in the meantime, Fantasian looks beautiful. I really love the dioramas. What a great idea. Just diorama-rama. Uh, you, you would think that every trick in the book has been used for game visuals, but uh, you'd be wrong, apparently. 
I really hope that A, it's going to have controller support on my iPad, and B, that'll have a Switch port so that people can actually play this game. I am almost certain both those things will come true. Uh, you, I mean, any Bluetooth controller can pair with any Apple uh, product. That's no problem. You, with the Switch release, I feel is inevitable, but it's just a matter of waiting for like a year because I think that's how long it took for Grindstone and Earth Knight to come out. Oh, who knows, though? Earth Knight actually came out a little bit sooner than that. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe it comes to the Switch sooner or later. I really hope it does. I got an iPad for Christmas, and it's a really nice one, too. It's one of the new iPad Airs, and really nice screen. So I'm actually kind of really looking forward to playing Fantasian on it. And I have uh, one of my old Xbox One controllers paired with it. So Yeah, yeah. So that should be just fine. I actually... My problem is that I don't have a really good Apple product besides my phone, and I don't really want to play it on my phone. I do have an Android tablet, but that's not probably not going to be supported. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an Apple Arcade exclusive, so that makes sense, right? Yeah, so maybe I'll find a way. Maybe I'll get lucky and get a deal on an iPad before it all it comes out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. One of the cool things about Fantasian, aside from the diorama and the fact that Uematsu's back and all of that, is that with the battle system, uh, there are random encounters, I guess, but you can decide whether when you want to do the <laughs> random encounters. So if you don't want to do the random yes. encounter, you can banish the enemy into another dimension and then get to them when you feel like it. That's pretty great. I love that idea. Um, I don't know if it was actually called procrastination, but I've heard it kind of uh, compared to that. I'm not into you right now, but maybe later I will I will destroy you. You might have some good loot, so, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll deal with you later. I'll put you in this little box. Like, hey, wait a minute. I was just walking. I was just minding my own business. That's a very super villain thing to do, I think. It is kind of. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like sending your enemy to the, 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 the Twilight Zone or something, whatever it was called yeah. in, in uh, Superman 2. <laughs> in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Jason, the Red Ranger, gets banished to an alternate zone where he has to just fight enemies all the time. So it's kind of like that. I remember that episode. Yeah, it was, it was part of the Green Ranger arc. It was very good. That's why I remember it. That's why anyone yes. remembers it. <laughs> no, nobody remembers Power Rangers except for that six-episode arc, which, by the way, was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, that was my first major crush was uh, Jason David Frank. Was I too old for Power Rangers? Yes. Did I watch it anyway? Heck yeah. Oh, all the girls in my class watched Power Rangers because of Tommy. I mean, no one was ashamed of Oh my of God. It. I was so into Tommy. Everyone was into Tommy. All the girls were just squealing over him. Fantasian, out 2021, doesn't have a firm release date, but we'll be keeping an eye on it because it looks really dang good. And I hope it comes out before my uh, Apple Arcade free trial ends. <laughs> go on sakaguchi step on it we don't want cat to have to pay for apple arcade moving on we should talk about the hard suit fiasco nadia i don't know if you got to it last week i'm guessing you didn't but long story short vampire the masquerade bloodlines to highly anticipated rpg coming out on a variety of systems it's being pushed pretty hard mm. uh the publisher really hopes that it can be a big deal in the RPG space, putting a lot of money, a lot of resources behind it. Hardsuit revealed it a couple years ago, like in 2018. I did an interview with them, actually. It's I over on that. US Gamer. It was like GDC 2018, I want to say, that it was revealed. It could have been 2019, one of those years. I talked to Kara Ellison about it. I tried, I talked to Brian Mitsoda. It seemed like they were they had it going well. It was on the right track. The the graphics were interesting, but then 
there was something weird going on because it never felt like we could get a hold of the development team to talk to them. They always seemed really cagey about showing results. They kept showing the same kind of assets over and over again. And now things seem to have really been gone gone wrong because the creative director, Mitsuda, was actually fired some months ago. Right. Kara Ellison, who was their lead narrative director, left not long after, like just deleted all reference to the project and was like, yep, I've moved on to a different thing now. And now Hardsuit's been taken off the project entirely. So mm, who yeah. even knows what's going to be happening with Bloodlines 2 at this point? Hardsuit's been hit by layoffs as a result. But it's safe to say, Nadia, that this is an extremely troubled project. When I heard the news, I wanted to go to Eric's house and knock on his door and make sure he was okay. Because oh, poor Eric. <laughs> I know how much this game means to him. I know how much it means to people who are into Bloodlines. And that's a lot of people because the original Bloodlines, as flawed as it was, was a fantastic RPG. But this does not seem to be going well. And I feel like there is a seething expose. I feel like Jason Schreier is like sniffing the air already. But uh, I would love to find out what's going on here. I could probably write that expose, but I'm too tired. <laughs> Cat <laughs> has only so many spoons and they've all been spent all the spoons but I think he would like bloodlines Nadia because you get to be a vampire you get to be all sexy uh, you can be very many different types of vampires and it'll affect how the story goes and they were going to bring that element to bloodlines too it's just uh, too bad that it doesn't seem to be working out Ah, uh, yeah so I wonder if the whole like has the project been outright cancelled yet it really hasn't has it no, it's just kind of being rebooted, it seems, with a different developer. I'm sure that they'll use a lot of what already exists because you don't want to start over from scratch with a project like this. But I don't think we're going to be seeing this game for a while. It's just the the deletion, I guess, to me, the, the deletion of all past references and the disavowalment of it all. I, I really am curious. I know it's like a kind of a morbid curiosity, but there's just something in me that wonders what's going on and if we'll find out. Well, it seems that Hardsuit and the license holders were just not on the same wavelength. And maybe Hardsuit was taken a, taken off guard a little bit by uh, what was happening above them. But I don't know. I guess we'll mm. find out at some point, won't we? We definitely will. One day we'll wake up and there'll be a whole expose and we'll talk about it all day on Twitter and get no work done. All right. Some release dates for you, Nadia. Disgaea 6 is going to be out on June 29th in North America. That reminds me that we should do a Disgaea retrospective. We should have Mike Williams on to do it. We should. Um, I don't know I, a whole lot about Disgaea. It's one of those series that I really want to get into because it has the printies and they're very cute. It's tactics RPG and grinding hell. Yeah, pretty much. And that's just kind of eh to me. But it, I, I always like the aesthetic and I like the sense of humor too. Our mutual friend Shivam Bhatt uh, will tell you about how he burned out like two PS2s grinding in Disgaea. Oh my god! Really? Yeah, that's his story. He loved he loved the original Disgaea. Clearly, I mean Good the original Disgaea was awesome. It was when we were doing our PlayStation Two console RPG quest. I talked about how Disgaea, in some ways, defined the PS2's library because. While you had those huge RPGs like Final Fantasy X, when you were at GameStop, you could always look down on like the third shelf and find these really quirky <laughs> anime games like Disgaea that would inevitably turn out to be really, really good and take up a lot of your time. Yeah, it was definitely one of those word of mouth games. It was mm -hmm. not something that you that you would see a commercial for blurring in your face. You would just hear it from a friend or you see, again, a reference to the printies because how could you not? 
Speaking of NIS, Tactics RPGs, Phantom Brave, and Soul Nomad are coming to Switch as part of NIS Classics Volume 1. I don't think either of them are particularly good. They're not as good as Disgaea. (laughs) But I know that Phantom Brave in particular has its fans, so I am happy for them. More games coming to Nintendo Switch. All of the ports, always forever. Amen. I agree. And uh, heck, I'm here for any sort of great uh, game preservation, so go for it. And finally, one more tactics RPG, Nadia, that I've been playing on and off. It's called Urtuk the Desolation. It's a new tactics RPG on Steam. It's been in early access until recently. At the end of February, it was finally released. Basically, it's kind of Darkest Dungeon meets Banner Saga, maybe? So oh, my God. You, at the beginning of the game, you start out with a party of different archetypes like you have a berserker and you have a priest and you have a a knight and they can do different abilities they're all very ugly it's like very (laughs) horrifying character designs and it's meant to be evocative of darkest dungeon but where as in darkest dungeon the characters look kind of tortured and here they're just kind of gross because i know darkest dungeon you kind of look tortured because you're slowly going mad aren't you Yes. Well, it's not you. It's the characters who characters, you are controlling yeah. who are slowly going mad. Yeah. So are these guys ugly just because they're crazy or just like ugly period? They're just kind of gross, you know. Okay. It's, it's very Image Comics. Like I think it's Image uh, Comics versus more Lovecraftian, I suppose. Like that's mm-hmm. – it's a subtle difference. And maybe it's just the fact that when you kill an enemy, they literally explode into giblets. You Well, that will yeah. get on you after a while. <laughs> And uh, I like Darkest Dungeon a lot. I've been surprised by the influence that it's had, mm-hmm. especially in terms of the graphics. Because when when it gets down to it, it was a very hardcore kind of niche RPG. But it seems like a lot of games have tried to copy it over the years. Yeah, I find that a lot of the more hardcore games are the ones being copied these days. Uh, I mean, Dark Souls, of course, but also Hollow Knight. And now, as you say, Darkest Dungeon, like, I feel like Hollow Knight in particular, uh, when people make Metroidvanias these days, they're not just up for the exploration. They're also like, well, how hard can we make these bosses of ours? I think the thing with uh, Urtuk is that with Darkest Dungeon, there was a really clear and defined loop where you're in the manor, you're trying to build up the manor, you're recruiting characters, and then you take them all and you go into a dungeon, the Darkest Dungeon. The Darkest. And each one is different. Uh, It has its own themes, kind of demands its own party compositions and its own strategies, and figuring out that is a lot of fun. And then there's a really defined sense of progression. So it's a satisfying loop combined with good progression and these really tortured characters who grow over time. Whereas Mm -hmm. Urtuk just throws tons and tons of mechanics at you right away, and there's no... I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a loop because instead of going back to a manor each time, you go to a world map and then you're just kind of on a journey, I suppose. And then each new map, you can recruit a new character and kind of add them to your party. And as tends to happen in games like this, uh, the battles, the characters get very clumped. Uh Like there's definitely a positioning element to it. But I guess that... There's just something about this game that wasn't grabbing me, so I probably won't stick around for too long. But the only reason I'm mentioning it is because it came out on Steam not too long ago and seems to have picked up a bit of an audience. It's been hitting some of the lists, uh, had relatively good reviews. It seems like a very deep uh, tactics RPG, but maybe uh, maybe there's something I'm missing here. 
It, it could be. Uh, I find games like that always get their fans. They always get their the people who want to be as hardcore as possible. And um, I mean, heck, you're you're hardcore cat. We all admit that. But you already, if you're already like sated with Darkest Dungeon, then it's kind of a what the point situation. Yeah, I have like multiple games on my list right now. I've been playing Stardew Valley. I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV because I'm back in Quat Boy Hell. Thank you to everybody yes. who's subscri- subscribed to our Patreon to get us back over 5,000 so that I could get to playing FF14 again. Uh, I've been playing System Shock 2, and now I've been playing Bravely Default 2. So there's just not been a lot of bandwidth for me. Yeah, just not a lot of time to spend on games that you're kind of okay on. So I understand where you're coming from. Okay, final piece of news, Nadia. I think I should probably offer my opinions on the recent Pokemon announcements. Yeah, you missed it. And when you, gosh, when you went on vacation and all these Pokemon announcements came out, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing it now. Yeah, right? So, okay, here are my thoughts on Pokemon. First of all, the, the new Arceus game with that's kind of like Breath of the Wild, but Pokemon looks kind of neat, and I'm, I, I'm into it, and I hope it's good. Yeah, me too. I'm definitely looking forward to that very, very much. Uh, if you all missed it, Andrew Vestal and I, last week's guest, talked at length about uh, Pokemon, what is it, Legends Arceus, I think it's called? Yes. And uh, the Diamond and Pearl remake, and we were talking a little bit about how, uh, since Andrew Vestal has, like, a lot of localization uh, background and background working in Japanese properties. Uh, we were talking about how it was influenced by certain matters of Japanese history. Like we're looking at like running around through ancient Hokkaido, which at the time, at least like, you know, stacking up human time versus Pokemon time, probably looking at a place that's sparsely populated compared to, uh, you know, other parts of Japan at that, t- at that era. Reminds me of when Yakuza did its Edo era story. <laughs> I forgot about that. Was that any good? I have no idea because <laughs> for a long time it didn't come out in North America. It might have come um, out by now, but I, I remember when it came out. This was back in the, the dark period when Yakuza games, like getting lo- localized was right. an open question. And it felt like the fans had to fight really hard for them every single when time. Yakuza was basically the only reason it came here at all was, hey, this is Grand Theft Auto. We can make a buck off this. Except it wasn't it Grand Theft Auto wasn't at Grand all. It wasn't Grand Theft Auto at all. <laughs> the least. <laughs> As for the Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remakes, I was surprised because it was definitely not what I was expecting. Traditionally, when Nintendo does a remake, what they'll do is they'll take the existing systems and they'll apply them to an old game. So, for example, Mm -hmm. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire looks like Pokemon X and Y. It's just set in Hoenn instead of uh, set in Kalos. And it, it feels like an equal partner. As it were. Same yeah. can be said for Fire Red and Leaf Green, which was very much in the vein of Ruby and Sapphire. Same can be said for Heart Gold and Soul Silver, which was a Gen 4 game. Very much an equal partner with Diamond and Pearl. In many ways, better than Diamond and Pearl. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to see these games, very simple, right? Um, basic. Uh, basically, instead of doing the Sword and Shield look, which is kind of what I've wanted, they're going for almost like a throwback like legend of Z- they're kind of aping uh the wind wake not wind waker link's awakening remake definitely and you're right uh when you talk about the equal footing thing i was surprised myself to see that wasn't quite what they're going for the battle scenes if i'm not mistaken look a lot more like let's go so it's not like you're spending the whole thing mm-hmm. in like a, a chibi universe but i'm supposed i'm guessing game freak is pouring all of the resources into the legends uh arceus game I almost get the sense that this was a last minute project and they were kind of going, 
Uh, oh, crap. People really want these remakes. Uh, <laughs> we weren't really planning on doing them, but uh, okay, let's just throw them together. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a Sinnoh remake was inevitable because remakes are remakes in the Pokemon universe. But, I mean, it looks fun to me. It looks cute. I, I kind of like the aesthetic, but Sinnoh was never my favorite region, so I have very little emotional investment in this. Uh, of course, the Pokemon fandom being the Pokemon fandom has erupted because that's what they do. What's weird is that Game Freak doesn't seem to like the Sinnoh region. They've really <laughs> gone out of their way to downplay it over the years. Like, they still have Lucario appearing in a lot of things because Lucario is one of the most popular Pokemon. But, for example, the the Sinnoh starters almost never feature. For example, You're right. in the Legends Arceus game, none of the starters are from Sinnoh. They're all from different regions. Yeah, that was one thing Andrew brought up when we were talking. He said it kind of reminds him of the whole era when Japan was shut off and the only people trading were the Dutch and they were bringing in stuff from the Western world. And he was wondering if that was supposed to be like kind of an analog to that. Like, here are some uh, foreign Pokemon. Uh, go ahead and ruin your ecosystem, whatever you do with foreign Pokemon. But <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of got that sort of vibe from the idea of taking Pokemon from other regions. And I kind of did, too. As an avowed Infernape stan, I am deeply insulted. I understand. Um, I'm trying to remember who there was. I know there was Sceptile. Was, no, not Sceptile. Sorry. Um, no, there were like three randos. One of them was from Gen 5. Yeah. There yeah. was Rowlet, and I don't remember the others because I'm going to choose Rowlet, so that's all that matters. It's Cyndaquil. That's right. No, Cyndaquil's yeah. all right. I Cyndaquil like is popular. Like, I felt like they were kind of going for fairly popular starters, but that just goes to show their opinion of the Sinnoh starters because whereas the Hoenn starters have been featured in multiple things, the uh, especially the Hoenn starters and especially yes. the Kanto starters, uh, the Sinnoh starters just seem to have been kind of lost to history in a lot of ways. And so is the Sinnoh region in general. So it sort of feels like Game Freak has a dim opinion of the Sinnoh region and they're only doing these remakes maybe a little bit reluctantly and that's why you're not seeing the same amount of, I don't know, resources being poured into these particular games. I'm going to be this person and say that I think that Sword and Shield is probably the best Pokemon has been since Black and White. I really I really enjoy those games. I thought that the expansion uh, the expansion packs did a lot for them. I hope that they continue to be uh, supported. If nothing else, the Diamond and Pearl remakes mean that I'm going to be able to get my Sinnoh starters over into Sword and Shield, which is <laughs> yes. exciting to me. So Infernape, you you back? I'm excited. <laughs> Infernape returns. But as for the region itself, I have to say that I'm a little disappointed by the art style, and I hope it looks a lot better um, in the finished version when I play it. It might, yeah. I understand why people are a little bit disappointed, but at the same time, like I said, Sinnoh's not really my favorite. I think it looks cute. I think it's really there to uh, for you know kids like my little nephew who doesn't care about old Sinnoh versus new Sinnoh. He's just like, wow, Pikachu, I want to play this game. As long as the actual battle mechanics kind of align with Sword and Shield without too many differences, um, enough that there's basically cross-compatibility. And not like Let's Go and Sword and Shield, basically, but like a feeling that they're kind of in the same generation. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to do that, but I don't want there to be too many differences, as it were. Um, I will be okay, I guess. Um It'll be kind of, and I, if they bring back the Battle Frontier, I will be very happy. Yeah, there you go. If they give you Battle Frontier, you're good. Yeah, so, and I, I look forward to revisiting the Sinnoh region because 
with Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, that is the generation that probably hits me the hardest in the feels and the nostalgia feels because that was when I was living in Japan. I played those games in Japanese. I played them before they even came out in North America. I was really into Pokemon at that time. So I have very warm kind of emotions around mm, the Diamond and Pearl yeah. series where I know a lot of people aren't like that. They are very slow, admittedly, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone has their special generation. Like to me, Sun and Moon is probably my favorite. Interesting. Not a lot of people would say that, but give it a few years. I bet Sun and Moon will be popular soon. Exactly. That's the whole thing. It's like, what did you play as a kid? Again, you and I have talked in the past about how in a lot of ways the Hoenn region didn't impress us, but the kids who grew up in that area, everything was Hoenn. All about the Hoenn. It's all about the trumpets. All right. Those are my thoughts on Pokemon. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about it. Not the least because it's 25th anniversary. We should find something... uh, to talk about with Pokemon again. We did the 20th anniversary a few years ago, Nadia. Hard to imagine. Was it? Oh my goodness. Like, didn't we like make a list of the best Pokemon or, we did. or something like that? We... One, didn't we pick a hundred of them? No, 25. We did 25. It was still, uh, it was still quite an endeavor. It was quite an endeavor, but okay. It's time now to talk about Persona Strikers and Bravely Default 2. Don't go away. <laughs> Axe of the Blood God Disciples, Cat Bailey here. Did you know that Axe of the Blood God has a Patreon? It's true. Patreon.com slash Pod with lots of bonus content for all of our listeners. You can go and join our Discord, which is amazing. You can go listen to our watch of The Witcher on Netflix. And of course, there is the Pantheon of the Blood God in which every single month we pick a new game and decide whether it deserves to go into the Pantheon. We've done Skies of Arcadia, We've done Lufia 2, and last month we did Final Fantasy VIII. Here's a glimpse of what you've been missing. And I think that Final Fantasy VII was so beloved and so impactful that it just overshadowed Final Fantasy VIII. I saw a headline when I was doing research along the lines of kind of the middle child syndrome suffered by Final Fantasy VIII where it was just always going to be compared against one of the most important games of all time. And there were going to be people, a very loud minority, who were going to find it wanting. So short of a game that, you know, was the Empire Strikes Back in quality, which in itself was a little bit controversial because it was so different from Star Wars, it was just going, there was always going to be people who just found it wanting, in my opinion. Yeah, I think... Yeah, it was always going to... Seven is such a monumental game. Um, it, it was always going to going to have a problem in that regard. But the one thing that I would say that's interesting about this is I do think this is the last Final Fantasy game for a long time, possibly ever, where the development wasn't massively overshadowed by Seven. This was the people who made Seven... And for them, the success hadn't quite sunk in, or for mm. much of the for much of the development, it ha- it wasn't really clear because they hadn't because although it had been a big success in Japan, when they were first making this game, it hadn't even come out and been a huge deal in in the West. Um, and when you look at the other games, and you look at Nine, which is an introspective look back, um, so maybe you couldn't say that Nine wasn't too concerned with Seven either. But then when you look at Ten, 
uh, and when you look at 12 and, and, and 13, especially 13, <laughs> um, and so on, the, the shadow of seven just looms over it so large. And I don't think it does with eight, at least to the way, in, at least in the sense of the way it was made. I think in terms of the, the critical reception it had, totally, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people were blindsided by it. Um, but I do wonder, it's that thing of like, you know, there's the old urban legend, which I totally think is true, which suggests that Final Fantasy VII was one of the most returned games of all time mm. because people saw those CG ads ah. and went and bought it and then got the game and was like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And took <laughs> I it back. About that. Um, it's, it's always been an urban legend, but I, I totally, it's one of those things where it, it must have truth in it because Sony was running, you know, Sony spent $100 million or something crazy like that mm-hmm. on ads for final fantasy 7 and they were running them in the middle of nfl games and stuff like that and i imagine people who would buy sports games and stuff like that you know were going out and buying this japanese rpg probably saw the opening cutscene went this was awesome this is awesome got to the scorpion sentinel and went what is going on like why aren't they moving why are they standing in a line um and so i wonder if if because seven sort of got that out of the way, eight didn't suffer from that stuff as much. People knew what they were getting. But then they were like, "Where's Cloud?" <laughs> Where's Cloud? Yeah, yeah, but then you got that right, right. And I think, um, you know, uh, Tim Rogers touches on this in his excellent Final Fantasy VII remake review, which is that like the moment people first saw Final Fantasy VIII and saw those more realistic models, the first thought of like seventy-five percent of the players was. Final Fantasy VII would look pretty good if it looked like this. That was a look at our Pantheon of the Blood God discussion of Final Fantasy VIII. There is also an extended preview on our free feed that you can go listen to if you are curious. If you enjoyed that, go check us out. Patreon.com slash Pod. Subscribe at the $10 level to gain access to so much amazing material. Okay, back to the episode. I'm here with Samantha Nelson, contributor to Windows Central and iMore, who has reviewed Persona 5 Strikers and has a review going up soon of Bravely Default 2. We're going to talk about both games in this segment. I've been playing Bravely Default 2. Nadia's been playing Persona 5 Strikers, but I think that we can kind of talk about all of them at once. But Samantha, you reviewed Persona 5 Strikers first, and I have two questions for you. Question number one what did you think of Persona 5 Strikers? And question number two, what is your relationship with Persona 5? Were you a big fan of the original game or were you more of a, like, I'm just coming in and playing a Musou game? Oh, no, I, I loved Strikers and I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Persona uh, series. I've played, um, you know, Persona 5 Royal, uh, Persona 5, 3, 4, uh, honestly, most of the Megami Tensei series. So um, the it was, it was almost the opposite of, oh, I'm not really sure about uh, how I'm going to like this as a Musou game, but um, I, I loved it. I thought that the, uh, the way that they integrated all the mechanics from Persona 5 into that format worked shockingly well uh, in terms of like having this really cool high speed 
but very nuanced combat and like the just different flavors in terms of integrating your terrain and the the pause uh persona summoning abilities to like give you a little bit of a breather um for like the real hybrid turn-based real-time cack and slash i had a really good time with it yeah i've heard that if you are playing persona 5 uh royal sorry persona 5 strikers it feels just like persona 5 at first and then you get to the muso part and you're like oh yeah that's crazy yeah like all of your like out of combat stuff is is very very similar in terms of just wandering around and talking to your friends and exploring your the city uh, although it doesn't have any of the real time management components of, of persona 5 mm-hmm. i mean it, it you know you do have a calendar but uh it moves based on story beats as opposed to just like when you went to bed uh so you know that's kind of a mixed blessing depending on how much you liked having to, to manage your time uh as a, as a player how do you feel about it as a follow-up to persona 5's original story I thought it worked really well. I mean, each of the characters really gets like a good development. They have like these like specific um, synchronicity with different uh, bosses in in the game. Um, so you know you have um, you know uh, Yusuke who gets to like kind of sympathize with this really shady fantasy writer. Um, uh, and my boy. Who, Huh? Yeah, he's he's great. So so melodramatic and like just he's got all this like really beautiful stuff about like what it is to be creative and to make art. Um, and Anne, who's like you know sympathizing with this like kind of idol character, who's the the first boss, and like trying to you know talking about like what it is to to be famous and to inspire people. Um, you know, I, I think it just it it worked really really well in propelling the story forward as opposed to like you know some of the other persona spin-offs where they just kind of like have just very basic first versions of the characters it, it felt like a true sequel yeah they really did work very hard on putting together the characters and their story arcs i haven't finished the game by far but i am playing it and it did take me a while to get into um and that's not necessarily persona five uh, sorry persona striker's fault when it comes to Muso games, I don't know what I'm going to like and what I'm not going to like. Uh, I mean, I really, really loved Age of Calamity. Something about it just really fit with the Zelda universe, whereas there are certain differences between Persona 5 uh, and Persona Strikers that I can't really ignore. Like the fact that you mentioned um, you don't really form the same bonds with your friends. That's one problem I had. Another problem I have is that how... how um, sides down these environments are that you wandered through in Persona 5. Like, the Shibuya area is one of my favorite areas in a, in an RPG ever. And it just feels so much more compact in Persona Strikers. And so that took some getting used to on an emotional level because it's such a such an important place to me. And although I did notice, Persona Strikers still has the HMV poster up in the Shibuya station. And I'm wondering if this HMV is still in Japan. Yeah, I mean, that that was something that I did miss as well. Uh, and I think it came a lot from having to, like, compressing down the time management aspect uh, to the degree to which, like, you don't really need to explore a lot of the cities. Like, you just, yeah. you know, can sit around in your base and do online shopping with Sophie. And, um, but, you know, honestly, though, still, I, you know, having played this after, you know, uh, almost a year of lockdown, I, I was just like, whatever, take me on a road trip. I want to go, like, I want to go to a festival. I want to find out what each city in Japan's, like, specialty food is and, like, sit down with my friends and eat it and everyone be like, oh, this is so good. I don't I mean, care if it's truncated Shibuya. I just want to go to Shibuya. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. It's the sort of thing that I have always found appealing in games regardless. Mm -hmm. And, like, right now, at this point in my life, like, I found it, like, almost pornographic in terms of just, like, I want this. (laughs) I want this right now. No, you're absolutely right. Something about that fellowship really kind of hits at this point in time. Uh, I did have one question for you. What system did you review it on? Um, I reviewed it on PC. Okay, because, of course you would, duh. Um, Because I'm playing it on the Switch Lite, and I feel like that's to its detriment because um, although it worked really well for Hyrule uh, Age of Calamity, it feels a little more squished in in, uh, Persona Strikers, and it makes it a little hard, I find, to manage, like, uh, the action on screen and the Persona summoning and all of that because... I don't know why exactly, but it's just uh, it just afflicts it for some reason. So I would recommend to people maybe make sure you play the game uh, on a television is, is probably for the best or a monitor, of course. Yeah, no, I, I I can't really imagine playing it on on a Switch. Like, there's so much going on. The visuals are gorgeous, as, oh, yeah. as much as as beautiful as you would expect. And you know, obviously, like the Switch is is uh, surprisingly powerful for for what it is. Um, but I think that the uh, there's really no uh, comparison that you're going to get to like a, a true PC gaming system or like a better, a little bit more powerful console. I think like I, I basically got a Switch code and I think I would have, I should have put it on my main Switch because at least then I have even a slightly bigger handheld screen I think would be a big help. Plus you can of course put it on your television. I've heard of performance yeah, exactly. issues with Switch, but I haven't really run into those performance issues. Yeah, I didn't have any performance issues at all on PC. So, and there's, uh, as you said, like so much going on. Especially like the um, the dungeons have like so much verticality to them. So you really want to be able to like pan out and take a look at everything. Exactly. I think that what me might be what's messing me up a little bit. So that makes a lot of sense. I've seen plenty of people online just being kind of salty that Persona Five or Persona Strikers is pretty good ultimately on the switch because they're going well it just it shows goes to show that persona 5 would run just fine on this console (laughs) if only i still think there's got to be exclusivity something going on there or at least get persona 5 onto pc you know yeah come on yeah the exclusivity definitely seems to be breaking down with like say persona 4 golden coming Mm -hmm. to to pc Mm -hmm. recently so you know i i would not be surprised if you wound up getting the rest of the persona series on switch on pc at some point oh god if only can you imagine golden on the switch i'd never see cat again that golden would be great i've already finished golden i need persona 3 that's true i haven't played 3 so i need 3 yeah, Persona Three is fun. It's uh, it's got some features that they kind of lost in the in the later ones. Like, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you get sick in Persona Three, and I was just like, that's perfect. That's exactly like the high school experience. What's funny is that on the day that we're recording this, so we're doing a March Madness bracket right now for RPGs, and today's featured matchup is the world ends with you versus Persona Three. And Samantha, I'm wondering which one do you got? Uh, I I gotta stick with Persona Three, but I'm a <laughs> I'm a huge Persona fan. But like I don't, I mean I think I think Persona it's one of those things where they feel like they've iteratively just gotten better every single time. But mm-hmm. Persona Three is just like really the one that founds is the foundation for the franchise as we know it today with with its whole quality of like the friendships and time managements and things like that. And uh, I just think it's a really really classic game. You know I I, I would still probably play persona 5 over it because it's just got so much more quality of life stuff but uh it's it's definitely a great game 
it's a lot darker than Persona 5, uh, in my honest opinion. Uh, a, more of a meditation on death and that kind of thing. And that way it kind of almost feels like a better thematic fit for your typical SMT game than Persona 5, which, I mean, even though SMT, uh, Persona 5 brings in a lot of elements that have been traditionally part of SMT, like the Tokyo setting, I sort of feel like Persona 3 spiritually is a better fit for the uh, the series at large. That's fair. Like SMT does often, it's bread and butter is the world is about to end mm-hmm. due to some horrible, horrific, I don't know, divine apocalypse coming and you are the last bastion. Like I, uh, I really love, uh, now I'm blanking on the games, the really apocalyptic ones where like strange journey. Almost... Yes. There oh, we go. That strange was a great journey. game. That was a, that was my first SMT and that was probably a good one to start with. Yeah. So I haven't picked up Persona Strikers because I never finished Persona 5 and I'm kind of worried about being super spoiled and I feel like I don't want to play a continuation of the story that I haven't finished. Is this like a valid concern or is this more of a side story that I can just pick up as a standalone thing? So, I mean, I think it's a valid concern if you don't want to be spoiled. If you say, like, weren't a fan of, like, traditional turn-based and, like, were intrigued by Musou and, like, weren't really planning on playing Persona 5, uh, then I would say just jump right into it. I mean, you're going to get more out of it if you know the characters. Like, they are going to reference things. They are going to, you know, talk about what they've been through and, like, Obviously, you know, one of the things in Persona 5 that you're not always sure of is, like, who's going to actually even join your party. So, um, you know, you you start with the full pro- party in, in Strikers. So I would ma- I, I would probably just wait uh, and finish it, which is uh, no small task. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but you'll, you'll get more out of it once you've played it all. There's also the fact that, um, without spoiling anything, I will say that from the, practically from the game's opening moment, there is a major story spoiler for Persona 5 in who greets you. You know what I mean? Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, play Persona 5 first, definitely. So what you're saying is that I will never play this game ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Kat. It's, uh, yeah. it's inevitable. I don't know. Like, every time I think I should play some Persona 5 Royal, I instead pick up Stardew Valley. So that just ends up happening. Stardew Valley, uh, you got to watch out. That 1.5 patch will kill you. Oh, they just fixed the blue floor on Ginger Island. They have a whole new island in everything. So I haven't unlocked that yet. So uh, I just unlocked it and they fixed the glitch. So now I can go play it to my detriment because I'm also playing Bravely Second, which we'll get to in just a second. But before we get to that point, I do have a question for both of you. And that is, what is your feeling on these RPGs like Dragon Quest and Fire Emblem being turned and now Persona being turned into Musou games? net good or is it kind of a bastardization of the original source material i think largely good even though i'm not a fan of all of them uh like i said before Muha games can be really hit or miss with me and i haven't quite figured out the formula yet as to how that why that happens with me but i think tech mccoy the main thing is that they put so much care into their licensed uh, muso games that i'm always blown away by by how well represented like the presentation in strikers is absolutely wild like the the item menu alone is just holy crap they really really put everything into this like nintendo mentioned that with uh age of calamity they worked closely with tech mccoy and it's clear i think that atlas worked very closely with uh with tech mccoy on strikers so i know people absolutely adore the genre there is nothing wrong with the games whether you like musos or not like if you don't like muso you don't like muso but the games themselves are really well constructed and I'm I'm glad they exist. 
Yeah, I mean, so long as they manage to maintain the high level of quality that they, they've been doing so far, I have absolutely no problem with it. It gives, you know, fans of the franchise uh, a way to interact with those characters again and, and do it in a more high-speed uh, way if that's what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. It can be a backdoor for other people to get into the, the turn-based RPGs. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see any of these franchises say, oh, we're not going to be turn-based anymore. We're all going to be Muso. No. Um, that, that would be terrible. But, <laughs> uh, but as a, like, a duo option, sounds great. I think Square just heard you and was like, wait, we can make them all Muso games? Final Fantasy? Yeah, that, that, is, that is what I'm terrified of, honestly. <laughs> Final Fantasy 17 Muso. Final Fantasy uh, 7 remake wasn't a muso it was no it was not a muso it was kind of an action tactics game is that how you would yeah. describe it yeah kind of with a with some turn-based elements but not really but i i do think it's a little bit of a pity that it seems like the the actual social elements which are such a core of persona's appeal are much less evident in persona strikers at least that's what i've been been given to understand yeah, I mean, there's some elements still, like you can do these little like side quests for your party members. Uh, like one of them that I thought was super adorable is Anne sends you on a quest to go find the most delicious dessert, and then <laughs> you wind up like she get her, you get her one dessert, and then you're like, no, wait, there's a still more legendary dessert, but it's like a secret menu item, and you have to find people who are in the know. And I, like I found that extremely charming. And you just yeah, you have a much more generalized bond system as opposed to building it with individual characters. You basically get bond points you can spend. From, on sort of perks um so yeah i obviously you know i think that that was an aspect that i missed but it really the, the how you create those bonds is so tied up with the time management aspect and they'd really just kind of eliminated that now i obviously like the time management a, a good deal it's like a kind of good stress sort of thing but you know for a lot of people i can understand that just being something they don't want to deal with and i think that like the with the musu thing it it fits better to like have it be a little bit more free form so I understand why they did it, even if I, I think that it's a good system overall. Yeah, um, I have to say that before we move on to the next topic is that uh, Sophia, Sophie is really cute. Like, she's just absolutely adorable. Yeah, super cute. And like her interactions with uh, Morgana, I find particularly adorable. It's like, oh, we you got found in like another place and we have no memory. Me too. Me too. It's like, oh, so you are a raccoon. No, I'm a cat. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any particular character who really benefits from Persona Strikers? That's a good question. I mean, I really liked Yusuke's plot a good deal, and like, because he wasn't my favorite in the main game, uh, but I thought he he did really well in, in Strikers. Yusuke is always the answer. He was kind of my boy in uh, Persona Five. There's a there's a scene early on in the game where I can't remember what they were talking about, but. Uh, everyone's talking about this event they experienced over the summer and he didn't because he's like, oh, well, I was broke as usual. He's just always poor. He's he's just never has any money and he's so casual about it. Like, oh yeah, I sleep in the bus station because I have no money. Oh yeah, I just uh, wait on people Beautiful to give me food. Beautiful starving artist. He's total starving artist, even though he he could take care of himself, but he, he, that's really not his jam. I like tortured creative artist boys. What do you want? What do you want from yeah, me? Yeah, I got a weakness. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Bravely default to which you are also reviewing samantha i've been playing it i think i've mentioned here and there that i'm absolutely in love with it i was just on fan bites rpg podcast 99 potions you sh that should be up right now and they were not big fans of it i was pushing back hard no. and being like no no <laughs> making the case and i think i convinced them that in fact good. bravely default good 2 you. is good i did the thing 
But I'm wondering, Samantha, are you in or are you out? Because this seems like a fairly polarizing game. So I'm in, in mostly because I, I don't... <laughs> the argument that I've heard from most people who are out, I was like, well, why did you play this anyways? Like, it's just Bravely Default or Bravely Second, but, you know, a little polished up and on a new system. I mean, so if you wanted more of that, you got it. And if you didn't want more of that, well, I don't know why what you were expecting. <laughs> like it is, it is so you know true to the original series, and you know for for better and worse. Um, so I I find that charming. I don't mind the uh, like the the grind and the tough boss fights and the fact that you've got weird chibi art and you know that it's going to be a lot of goofy fetch quests. Uh, but if if you're looking for something deeper, that's that's not going to be your jam. What I'm wondering is, what would people want Bravely Default to evolve the actual formula? Because the kind of the mission statement of the original Bravely Default was that it was a classic, a revival of the classic turn-based, job-based RPG. And that's what Mm -hmm. it did. And so, I mean, you could, I suppose, evolve that formula, but then how far are you going to start getting away from the original intentions of Bravely Default? Yeah, that's exactly it, because it's just, I try to think about how can you evolve freely default, and it just, uh, there's Deeper always story. room for improvement. Yeah, there. I suppose, I, I, although I do hear, I haven't, I have bought this game, but I have not played it yet, I look forward to starting it. I have heard that there is no equivalent to Ring a Bell from the first game, who was really, really annoying, so that's an improvement right there. Yeah, I mean, the closest is kind of Elvis. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems a little less sexist in this one in that, like, at least the, the costumes aren't, like, <laughs> uh, very revealing based on who is wearing them. Um, like, right. they're, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, cute and unisex regardless of, of which character is wearing them and, you know, has your tough... I mean, it's such a classic. Like, it's just, like, it's all... It's the tropiest trope game to ever trope. Like, you know, it's like, do you want a benevolent princess who's looking for crystals? Do you want a mysterious protagonist who has no discernible backstory? Well, here you go. And, like, yes, I I, I obviously love good story games because, you know, I'm here talking about Persona. But um, I also sometimes just like a thing that I can sit kind of mindlessly on the couch while something is on the background with my Switch and, like, not really worry about uh, if I'm going to meet, like get hit by a big emotion punch and it's just like yeah i'm gonna do some evil thing because i am evil mcevil man (laughs) and it's just like yeah that's what i got there was one actual brilliant story turn that i don't know if either of you played bravely second did and that was there was a character i don't remember her name but she was from the moon and she spoke in a very like a very parisian french accent and the whole joke was like french people sorry (laughs) People from the moon speak in French. So uh, sometime in the game, you meet like this kind of earthbound tribe of moon people who have been stuck on the earth for generations. So this this moon woman talks to these people. And as I said, she has the Parisian uh, French accent. They have a Quebecois French accent. And that blew my mind. I thought that was amazing. That was one of my favorite localization quirks ever done. Key element of Nadia's backstory, Samantha, is that Nadia is Canadian. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> so I know about the the, the Quebecois French, and I, I'm not a, I'm not fluent by any means, but I did take French like through high school. And when I go to Montreal for business, or when I used to go to Montreal for business before we all got <laughs> shut down by the plague, I used to feel my French coming back to me, and I can't speak it, but I can vaguely understand it. And just the 
could have caught action. It's one of my favorite things in the world. It's so rough. No, I totally get that. I'm I'm from uh, South Florida originally, where there's you know huge, huge. Oh, um, you got so you got the Louisiana uh, Louisiana uh, accent. Oh well, it's more like uh, South American, Central American for for South Florida. Um, so it's not French; it's Spanish. Um, oh, sweet. So, but when I whenever I go down, um, I my accent kind of comes up. When, <laughs> sometimes when I'm t- I'm here in Chicago now, and people are like, "Where are you from?" Like it does like it. It basically sounds like the South Florida accent sounds like New York by way of South America yeah. because that's where like everyone who's settled there is from one of those places. Nice. I, I love little linguistic things and accents and stuff I like studying them. Getting back to the costumes really quickly, I think that it's actually a really like a real strong point of Bravely Default too. Like I love the costumes. They are really detailed and they kind of look like really fancy cosplay, but I'm totally into it because costumes like the the Berserker and the Animal Tamer and the oh, those are great. the Vanguard those. and I love that every single outfit seems very tailored to the character who's wearing them it's really well done i think yeah it's really charming and it's always like so funny when you're fighting a boss and they you know bust out between their regular clothes and their asterisk clothes like i did not see the martial artist transportation uh, transformation coming i was like wow that is some eyeliner (laughs) rocket dude that's Um, where all the power comes from yeah, it is. That is definitely where his power comes from. Um, so, and then like just watching like the bard after you beat him go into like this like drab clothes from his like extremely fabulous getup. I-, I love it. I love just like tapping between the menus and just looking at all my guys and their their cool costumes. Though I-, I I will admit as is often the case for me in Bravely Default is that I want to dabble in too many jobs as opposed to just like maxing hard one of them. And that's one of the big problems of the game is if you don't max certain professions at basically the right time you're going to be punished for it because mm. you'll hit a um a fight and it's like well this fight really requires you to have like basically maxed freelancer to get the uh the buff removal power or you're gonna not be able to beat these minions so you oh, know, back back out go i never i never back. maxed freelancer <laughs> was this the bard fight the bard fight. Yep, I was able to beat that without maxing out freelancer. I went, oh. I went double vanguard. I think for that fight, and I was able to remove the the minions pretty quickly. And then I was able. the The thing that was just pretty tough was being able to hang on tight against the bard because they were able to dish out quite a bit of damage to me. What? How are bards are just like fierce all of a sudden? Like holy crap! Fierce. You, you, you just take their. Take their harps and break it over their heads. There, that's a that's a bard taken care of. Yeah, the guitar. Even better. Boom. He will give you a run for your money. Oh man! So he had to glow up like Edward from the After Years. I'm trying to think of the fight that's been the hardest so far. I think that the Berserker fight was pretty tough because he just comes in and mows you down if you're not ready. So you have to basically poison him. And hold on tight mm-hmm. while he just keeps smashing you with attack after attack after attack. Though the nice thing is, I, I really love the actual, like, the give and take of uh, using Brave versus for using Default to store up your turns. Because if you're in a real pinch, you can just be like, okay, I'm spending all of my turns and going into the going into the hole so that I can... Uh, use a rise and revive basically my entire party because it's an emergency and I'm not going to be able to heal for a bit, but we'll figure that out when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem for tomorrow. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, that's the core mechanic to the, the franchise, and I think just uh, it's a really clever one. Uh, like, just a really good twist on the the standard uh, turn based RPGs. And you know, you can also use it on the other side of just you know uh, unleashing with a bunch of buffs or debuffs to like really protect you um, before, or like unleash with a bunch of attacks to try to take out uh, an enemy before it's going to act. So like, there's so many strategies there, and and as you say, like the boss fights are they're tough. Um, and so like I like it's almost like an MMO style, you know, so many of the boss fights, you're going to encounter them and like almost want to back out and like retool your jobs, and, like maybe go grind some more, maybe like change up your gear and then come back and be like, all right, I think I got this. Do they still have the neck, the, the Catmancer class? Uh, I have not encountered it yet. I don't know. Did Bravely you... Second had the Catmancer class where you could use cats to do your bidding. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was absurd. There's the Beastmaster, but I have not encountered a Catmaster class in this. Aw. That's going to be my class. It wasn't the greatest class because it wasn't extremely effective. It basically, you, I think what you did was you sent your cast to go dig up items or, or something, but it wasn't, as, it wasn't as, as cool and direct as saying, get him fluffy and having the cat ream someone's face off. It wasn't like that, but it should have been. I've been experimenting a lot with the different classes, and I'm curious, Samantha, like what mix you ended up having. Right now, um, my protagonist is the Vanguard and the Freelancer um, because I find mm -hmm. that forage and uh using examine to examine enemies is very strong um i made i got my white mage gloria's my white mage and i got her all the way up to the point where she can just use a rise to revive party members who go down with full hp which is a really big deal mm. honestly um, but then i made her a beast tamer so the white mage is now the subclass and i have elvis as a bard and a black mage and i'm honestly not entirely sure what to do with him though <laughs> I think let him play I'm going to get him up to the level where he can start uh, buffing up attacks physical attacks and magic attacks and then switch him back to black mage maybe um, because uh, but right now he, he feels like the weakest member of my party and then uh, I forget what her name is I, I, I can't remember the names Estelle? of the characters is it or Gloria yeah Estelle is that her name yeah Estelle yeah she it's is like a the mercenary. Yeah, she is a monk and a she is a berserker monk. <laughs> so that's a good. That's combo. pretty cool. That's that's very powerful sounding. Just when those words together, very powerful. I'm going to get her up to a certain level with berserker, and then just swap her over to monk because monk has some really powerful uh, physical abilities, and berserker, I guess, can kind of buff those up and help those out. So mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I find in in any RPG, it's really hard to go wrong with monk. Generally, yes. Yeah, so the, the one trick with Monk is that you're really at your best with um, unarmed attacks, and mm -hmm. there are some of the uh, jobs require you to have, like, a certain weapon or... Right. Uh, so, like, Vanguard is really cool, and, like, you might think that Monk Vanguard would work well, but they don't because Vanguard has, like, multiple shield bash abilities, and so mm. if you're not wielding a shield, they're going to just sit there. Um, or, you know, for that matter, Shield Master or Sword Master. So, like, Monk is, is kind of niche, but a Berserker Monk is a really good combo. Um, so, yeah, currently I've got a... Um, uh, Stella is, like, my nearly maxed freelancer um, with a side of uh, Vanguard. Um, whereas I've got, um, my, my main character with, um, Vanguard, um, and, um, a little bit of Bard, um, and I've got, uh, Gloria is, like, full-on my white mage healer, um, and then she's got some, like, uh, 
freelance stuff because actually freelancer has some of the um but uh, debuff removal that white mage doesn't have which i thought was an interesting way to, to divide that up um and then elvis is like my my hardcore uh black mage um and um i haven't decided like i mean he's currently white mage but like honestly that doesn't seem super necessary so i've been i've been meaning to play around with that maybe make from black mage red mage and just be like fully i don't know blast everyone I really want a white mage. Like I, I want more magic classes that work really well because I feel like all of the physical classes are very dominant at the moment. Yeah, I mean, like the white mage is so powerful though yes. in terms of like just get being able to get your party back mm. up. Like I just feel like you almost need a, a maxed out one uh, at pretty much all times. At least someone either what's and like the problem is even with the subclasses. Like well, you got the abilities if you don't have like the right gear set. Like those abilities aren't going to be nearly as powerful. Um, so you really like it's you would i i almost want to be able to create like a i don't know a classic D D style like eldritch knight where i've got like armor and magic though the that new encumbrance system really messes with that mm -hmm. um, oh right yeah that's a, is that new that was in the past games was it no that's that's a new feature and like I, I am so mixed on how i feel about it because on one hand i just want to put everyone in my most powerful things when i go to the shop and and call it good but on the other it's like i understand why you're doing this uh it makes sense to me it it sets some limits uh just wondering what it does does it slow you down exactly yes exactly you're 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 you'll act less frequently if you're mm. encumbered don't want that also lower no, stats definitely not. like there's a point where if you get over if you're encumbered and you're overweight like it, uh adding a new uh item will actually hurt stats rather than help them so ah, not great tricky tricky Tricky, tricky. So, uh, Nadia, have you played much uh, Bravely Default 2 at all? No, like I said earlier, um, I downloaded it and I want to play it, but I was focusing more on Persona 5 Strikers for now. Mm -hmm. But uh, I am pretty pretty ready to dive into 2 and, and see how I like it. I think I'll like it because I like I liked the first game. I liked Bravely Second. I liked Octopath Traveler. Who knows? I I might hate it, but I don't think I will. If you liked those games, I, I think you'll like it. Yeah. So I'm not sure because Nadia is normally a story person versus a systems person and Bravely Default 2 is so systems focused where the story is very simple in my opinion. So I'm just kind of going, will she like it? But it's also cute is the thing. And you like cute. I like cute. There's plenty of systems based games that I just really get into. I mean, I loved uh, Slay the Spire. I mean, that's purely mm. systems game without any story. And I just sometimes I like to challenge my brain. You're full of surprises, Nadia. <laughs> I am a very hard person to pin down, I've been told. <laughs> I feel that with Bravely Default 2, I'm just really enjoying it. And I'm kind of surprised because I was not expecting to enjoy it. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I, when you told me you're really digging Brave Default 2, I'm like, what? I, am I in Bizarro Land today? Yeah, because I, I sort of felt like it was going to be one of those retro Square Enix projects that were going to kind of come and go. And I would just pass me by like, I don't know, Trials of Mana or um, the, any of the Tokyo RPG Factory games. Like I was comparing it to I Am Setsuna and talking about how I just really like Bravely Default 2 a lot more than I Am Setsuna because whereas I Am Setsuna feels like a budget project, Bravely Default 2 has a lot more of a character to it, a distinct look. Uh, mm -hmm. it, they really fleshed out the actual mechanics, whereas I Am Setsuna is like, yep, we're just a 
cut rate Chrono Trigger over here. And we are very much a cut rate Chrono Trigger. Uh, I will say Bravely Default too. even though people, not everyone cares for the kind of cupid doll look of the characters, I find the backgrounds for the towns are, are still phenomenal. It's gorgeous. I, I like the cupid doll look. Um, I, I think they're cute. Not the least because, and I think this is something that I, it has a little bit over Dragon Quest Eleven is that I really like the actual costumes, right? So mm-hmm. it feels like my characters are growing. They look, they're visually interesting. Uh, I like the weapons that they're carrying. So there's a lot of surprising amount of detail that goes into the, uh, to the actual characters. I, I'm wondering, Samantha, where do you land on the actual Cupid doll look of the characters? So it's, it's, it kind of, it, it comes and goes for me. Um, the, like, I think it works for the most part, but when they are trying to get like some more serious emotional beats, it's just like, oh God, <laughs> I want these lines coming out of these ridiculous faces. Uh-huh, like, this Barbie like, doll is talking. Yeah. Like very early on, there's some bad guys. Like, if you don't come with me, I'm going to kill this child. And like, the child's like, oh no, don't kill me. And then just like disappears. Uh, like it doesn't even like move off the screen. It just like the, it just ceases to be. And I'm just like, Oh boy! Like you are, you're kind of. It's not really uh, message and medium getting together mm. here very well. Yeah, there's a character who says that he's like he did what he had to do because his character, his kingdom was suffering from intense drought, and he would do anything for his people. And I'm just going, well, just, I wasn't expecting these little cupid doll people to hit me with the climate change drought war, water wars feels. I don't know how I feel about this, and so. It, it delves into unexpectedly intense uh, territory. I feel uh, I another thing that I do like about Bravely Default too is that it it cuts to the chase in a way that I feel like mm. a lot of modern JRPGs kind of struggle with. So many like Octopath Traveler got going pretty fast, in my opinion, but Persona Five and Dragon Quest Eleven to kind of bring it all the way back around, I suppose, they they really kind of meander, especially Persona 5. And I just appreciated that Bravely Default 2 was like, use your character, here are your party members, here are some job classes, you're off and, you're off and running, go have some adventures. And I'm like, I don't know what the stakes are, and I don't care. All I know is that <laughs> I'm dressed up as a cool Beastmaster now. Let's go. All you really have to know is monsters bad, you good. And there's a big old villain. He's clearly a bad guy. It kind of reminds me of your classic 1970s uh, super robot anime where you have your your villains who are very villainous and have names like Dr. Hell. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I actually recently learned, Kat, and you'll be interested in this. I think, I don't know if she was a villain in Gundam named Haman. Uh, Haman Karn, yes. Is she bad? Yeah, uh, she mixed. Yes, she mixed. Okay, because yeah. her her namesake is basically Haman from Jewish like scripture about like a guy, uh, one of well, one of the guys who tried to genocide all the Jews in Persia. That's 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 the moral of all of our holidays. Oh, um, you're Jewish too, member of tribe. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, the because uh, Purim was uh, just last week. Purim gets crunk in my neighborhood, but not this year because of uh, COVID. Thanks, thanks. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, but it's a uh, basically we drink. Until we're so drunk that we can't that we can't remember. Uh, blessed be Mordechai, cursed be Haman. And once you once you screw that up, you've had too much, and you have to stop. <laughs> uh, and you also give everyone cookies and uh, maybe booze too. Like you run around and give people gifts. It's a great holiday. It's, it's a really g- fun holiday. You dress up, and it, uh, people because I, I I live in a very Jewish neighborhood, and people in my neighborhood uh, dress up and everything. It's uh, it gets pretty wild. It's a shame that we missed it this year. 
Yeah, when I when I was a kid, we'd go to temple. Everyone would be dressed up, and you're supposed to like dress up as characters from the story. But like you know, kids being kids, we'd dress up as like I don't know, Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or whatever <laughs> else. And and the it's all right because like the rabbis were drunk. Like they were just definitely leading the services drunk. It, it was a good time. I love the I love the thought of, of Power Rangers in the Megillah. That's that would be fantastic. Um, oh, absolutely. And and they would do this thing where like the kids would all come up when they mentioned like the first time they mentioned each of the characters. Like they get to come up to the to the bima and like you know. Know, parents would take pictures and then so they <laughs> always try to pick like a like somehow insert whatever like the great costume du jour was and be like and then the power rangers showed up <laughs> and the power rangers power... beat him on that's fantastic yeah. i wish it was that much fun in my synagogue i will say though i was just a brief aside sorry cat they were having all this Jew talk here <laughs> but um in grade two hebrew school i was in a poor play it was king hushvarosh uh, and i had a paper crown and everything and i had to tell vashti who like you know, who was play, uh, the little girl playing Vashti that she had to come to my party and dance naked, and then <laughs> that to me is like the Jewish experience. Just like, well, we, all we have is the Old Testament. It doesn't really get it doesn't get much sanitized. So whatever. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, it gets real weird. <laughs> I'm an eight year old kid telling my friend to dance naked at my party. I have a paper crown. Amazing. All right, we have to wrap up. But final thoughts on Bravely Default Two or Persona Strikers? I. They both kind of came out at the same time, so I'm curious, like, would you recommend one over the other, like, tackling one first? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that front, Samantha? I mean, it really is going to depend on the player. I mean, mm. if you if you played through Persona 5 and loved it um, and want something like it, then definitely play Persona 5 Strikers first. Um, if you haven't played through Persona 5 um, and... Uh, are really looking for like a more chill, easy experience where, I mean, I say easy, but like kind of crunchy mechanically and like easy in terms of like, you can kind of do it um, in the background as opposed to like consuming your entire monitor and like mm -hmm. your life for a while, the way Strikers is going to, then, you know, I'd go with Bravely Default too. And Nadia, which one are you more excited to play? I think I'm ready to give Bravely Default 2 a try. I think what I'm going to do maybe is re-download strikers onto my regular switch because i find it's a hard play on my switch light i am going to continue to play bravely default 2 because it has really stuck with me the only problem is that now there are a bunch of games that i want to play at this current time and i'm kind of afraid that it's going to start drawing me away from bravely default 2 but just this morning like i was needing to start my day but i was just sitting here thinking but what if I try pairing White Mage with Animal Tamer? I bet this could be really good. Ooh, that's a cool combo. And you know that that you know that a game has its hooks in you when you're thinking along those lines, and you just mm. want to try it out, right? I'm I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised how much I've been really enjoying this game. All right, Samantha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, Samantha Nelson one on Twitter, and then you can often find my work on Windows Central, uh, iMore, and a few other sites, including uh, Polygon. Right on. Okay, let's continue on to our first ever March Madness update. Don't go away. Okay, thanks to Samantha Nelson for being on the show. Nadia, it's time for our March Madness update, 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 Ooh, update. This is uh, this is actually lives up to its name, I think. So far, it's been quite mad. Lots of madness, Nadia. Very, very heavy on the madness here. If you haven't been paying attention, we built a bracket with 64 amazing RPGs all going head-to-head. -head. We seeded them. 
based on how we felt their qualities. So Chrono Trigger was a one seed, whereas Tales of Symphonia was a 16 seed. Sorry, Tales of Symphonia. <laughs> Sorry, Tales fans. And we, we have to be honest. And we broke them into four different regions. We have East Retro and West Retro, East Modern and West Modern. Uh, modern would be everything that came after 2005, and Retro would be everything that came before 2005. Because I had to find some arbitrary break date and i found that if i went for everything before 2000 that it actually made it really hard to populate the west retro bracket so i'm just really distressed over the idea of anything before 2005 being considered retro because to me 2005 was last year yes it, me too nadia yeah. me too but it was also a long time ago it was 20 years 20 no. years not 20 years yet more but like close. 15 getting there getting there getting there yeah. we we old we we quite old the old. Okay. So let's look at some of what's been happening in round one, which is still in progress as of the recording of this podcast, but we are able to pick up some trends right now. So biggest blowout so far, Nadia, Chrono Trigger with over 95% over Tales of Symphonia, just completely wrecking it. Sorry, yeah. Tales of Symphonia. <laughs> that was like, you, you know, that meme with uh, 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 Seto Kaiba playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And he gets mm -hmm. blown away as his life points fade to zero. That was Tales of his uh, Symphonia. I mean, it was kind of inevitable. Nobody's going to pick Tales of Symphonia over Chrono Trigger. Someone did. I mean, it was like 95%, but yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> madman. Eric Van Allen must have found his way into our it must Discord. Have been Eric. He must have found a way to, to load the boat. I feel like this has been a rough episode for Eric because between the masquerade <laughs> news and this... I can. It's like The Simpsons, where just bad news keeps showing up, and he's going, "No, <laughs> we love you, Eric. We're sorry about Masquerade." Nearly the most shocking upset. It was. A, it looked like it was on the way to being a really huge upset, but it, the the world has kind of righted itself. Dragon Quest V is edging out Super Mario RPG as we speak, but it is definitely. It's basically a dead heat between the mm. two it's kind of amazing honestly i thought that dragon quest 5 would beat mario rpg pretty handily but people have a lot of fond memories of the original super mario rpg nadia people have uh, a lot of fond memories and i think uh if this was a poll with the japanese audience it would be dragon quest 5 would have blown out super mario rpg no problem but for a lot of people in our audience super mario rpg was their first rpg and if they if they even play dragon quest 5 like you know, they probably didn't get to play until much later in their lives because that didn't come out in, in North America until, gosh, like the, the DS version came out. So people don't have the nostalgia for Dragon Quest V as excellent an RPG as it is, but they have a lot of nostalgia for Super Mario RPG. Yeah, that's the problem is that DQ5 didn't come out in North America until it hit the Nintendo DS like a decade ago. So I feel like not enough people were able to play it, whereas a lot of people played Mario RPG. I mean... Just think about the fact that DQ5 is kind of hard to access. I guess it's on, you can play it on mobile. Mm -hmm. And if you have a DS, you can play it on there. Which, by the way, I got Retro Game Challenge on my DS, so I've been playing that recently. <laughs> like the original DS? Is it your fat? Do you have no, a fat? No, not, no, it's a DS Lite. It's a classic okay. DS Lite. But that's still pretty great. It is pretty good. But So that, that's part of the problem. So here's what I'm going to say to all of you. It's really high up in our top 25 RPGs of all time for a reason. It is, it really is. in my opinion, the best Dragon Quest. It is a phenomenal RPG. And if you play one turn-based JRPG from that era, play Chrono Trigger. If you play two, play Final Fantasy VI. If you play three, play Dragon Quest V. 
I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I love Super Mario RPG for what it is. It was never my absolute favorite, though. So the fact that there was a struggle even for Dragon Quest V is a little bit disconcerting. But at the same time, when you consider, again, how few people play Dragon Quest V when it came out here, it's it's still pulling its weight. Some more tough battles. Morrowind versus System Shock 2. Morrowind has been edging System Shock 2 with about 56%. I'm not surprised. Yeah. But I thought that System Shock 2 would be give a better accounting for it itself. But I sort of feel like it's been lost to history a little bit. Because when I talk to a lot of people, they're like, yeah, I never got around to that one. Or it's like... Or people have forgotten of it, whereas Morrowind is you know, maybe fresher in the memory just because Elder Scrolls. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. System Shock 2 uh, never had the the spread that Morrowind had. I didn't have the endurance either because uh, the world of Tamriel and Elder Scrolls is still extremely hot in, in gaming. So people, of course, are going to go back and maybe give Morrowind a try because it's so accessible on pretty much everything you want. Whereas System Shock 2 is more, well... There's a few more hoops to jump through if you really want to go through it, but you're probably not going to go through it because it's not the forefront of your mind the way that that Elder Scrolls is these days. Witcher 2 versus Path of Exile, Witcher 2, as of right now, with 52% of the vote. Path of Exile, actually, I think, is maybe getting uh, some the short end of the stick, as it were, because it is a really excellent Diablo-like, and I think that it has been very influential in its own way. And that probably shows in the fact that it really gave Witcher 2, which is an excellent RPG in its own right, a, a really tough run for its money. But I actually could have seen Path of Exile pulling the upset here. There are a lot of close races in this, uh, more than I thought there would be. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some blowouts. I think that we're going to see some seriously tough races in round two and three. It's going to be fun. Our Discord's already talking about Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI like it's uh, it's inevitable, Ooh. but could there be a surprise upset? I guess we'll find out, won't we? That's going to be a tough one. Pokemon versus Fantasy Star 4. Pokemon with 55% of the vote. Nadia, I don't think Pokemon's going to make it out around two. I don't think so. I was surprised at how closely it came between Pokemon and Fantasy Star 4, which is... Uh, not exactly an accessible game. You can play it in many, many ways, but not nearly as widespread and popular as Pokemon. So, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, I was expecting Pokemon to get a bigger win, but I sort of get the impression that our Discord, not maybe not big Pokemon fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not saying there's no Pokemon fans amongst them, of course, but there's the conversation doesn't tend towards Pokemon very often on the RPG space. Persona 3 versus The World Ends With You. Mm. Persona 3 and The World Ends With You, kind of a dead heat. So that was one of our featured matchups on Twitter. Right now, there are 189 votes. Persona 3 carrying the way, 52%. The World Ends With You with 47%. So it looks like Persona 3 is going to win. But there was a very brief moment in time where The World Ends With You was actually ahead of Persona 3. But I think this is one of the toughest choices in the entire bracket, Nadia. I think so. That's a really tough choice. I would still go with The World Ends With You because it was just so unique. But Persona 3 was so influential and really changed the franchise as we know it today, the Persona franchise. So that's a tough choice. That's a, yeah, I see why that was so close. Yeah, I think that The World Ends With You is the best Nintendo DS RPG. What do you think? Right. Yeah, it's, it's very much up there for me. I mean, I would say maybe the remake of Dragon Quest V 
but that's a remake, whereas World Ends With You is a totally unique project. People were throwing out names like Devil Survivor and Radiant Historia. Great games in their own way, but The World Ends With You was so defined by the platform, and it helped define the platform in, chair, in turn. And it was a really great little project in what was actually a very dark time for Square. So, And it hit me right in the feels, because at that time I was commuting through Shibuya every day, so I felt like I was home. There you go. And it gave many of us scratches on our lower screen. So thank you. Oh, me. Me. For, for me, for sure. <laughs> like uh, my DS totally has the scratches. I was looking at it just the other day, in fact. My fat is just all scratch, 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 scratch. Great soundtrack, like too, by the way. I can't believe they squeezed that onto a Nintendo DS cartridge. Yeah. To this day, I'm amazed at how well they did that soundtrack. Uh, finally, Earthbound handily beats Xenogears, which I wasn't really surprised. Like, I would, I, would, I don't think this would have happened 10 years ago. I think that it would have been much closer, but it seems like Earthbound has grown in esteem year after year, whereas Xenogears has really come to be, really been come to be defined by its shortcomings. I think so. I think this is also an example of two generations voting against each other. Xenogears was the hotness when you and I were pretty young and just getting into RPGs. Whereas Earthbound lay dormant for so, so long until uh, around the 2010s, it started to really pick up a lot of steam and become recognized for its emotional themes. So people, as whereas Xenogears kind of faded a bit from memories, Earthbound really rose to the top. So Nadia, that is our round one update. Not a lot of surprises uh, outside of maybe Dragon Quest and Mario RPG being such a dead heat and probably Earthbound crushing Xenogears. That was a surprising one to me. <laughs> but otherwise, the seeds mostly held. So a lot of the favorites won heading into round two. There aren't a lot of uh, what I would call Cinderella's. But I'm curious, who do you who do you think is going to win it all? Is it going to come out of East Retro, East Modern, West Retro, West Modern? I'm going to say that the winner is probably going to come out of the East retro bracket though that is a really savage bracket in a lot of ways it is but i think ultimately it's going to go to chrono trigger you think so i think so maybe six but i think it's i I, if i had if i was a betting woman and i'm not very good at betting so maybe i shouldn't be the person to be asking here but i would bet it on on chrono trigger i think that near automata or Mm. persona 5 royal could be dark horses in this fight and don't count out planescape torment or even disco elysium yeah, uh, definitely don't count out Disco Elysium. And of course, I would say Witcher 3 is the powerhouse of the West Modern uh, bracket, and and KOTOR is in there as well. I think that our audience will definitely go uh, for the East Retro side, but we are also going to be having rec- uh, voting happening on Twitter, and Twitter mm-hmm. could swing things. Yeah, because Twitter definitely has... A different taste from what we usually see in our discord so it that will that will be a nice spice to make things interesting uh this is a lot more fun than basketball by the way oh for sure sorry basketball (laughs) sorry basketball you suck saying as someone from who comes from the raptors town go hockey yeah hockey's a lot more fun than basketball i think yay hockey sports Sports, 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 sports. Anyway, thanks for supporting our March Madness bracket. We've been having a lot of fun. We're on to round two. We'll have another update next week. Okay. And that is it for our episode, Nadia. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you enjoy the show, make sure and go leave us a review 
on iTunes, Stitcher, or over the podcatcher of your choice. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Naughty Oxford. I'm on Twitter or Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV. And of course, subscribe to our podcast to our Patreon, patreon.com slash blood god pod. We'll be back next week as always to talk more RPGs. But until then, for Nadia and Samantha and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring.